Welcome to Horse to Culture, a digital salon hosted by the Known World Courtesans, where we bring you conversations with interesting gentles around the world. The Known World Courtesans are a free confederation of reenactors who've chosen a pre-1600 sex worker as our persona, along with the patrons, bodyguards, and entourage that may accompany us. As courtesans, we educate about historical sex workers and stand in solidarity with modern sex workers against sexism, misogyny, whorephobia, homophobia, transphobia, racism, classism, and all other forms of discrimination. Learn more about our group by visiting knownworldcourtesans.org. Today, we're going to be finishing with part two of our online Courtesans 101 class taught by Domina Lucretia Lepida, but all of my friends call me Lepida. This Courtesan Persona 101 class is loosely based off of a handout written by Baronessa Ginevra Fiametta di Silvestri. If you're just now tuning in and you missed part one, don't worry, we'll wait. You can go back and catch up and we'll be right here for you when you're done. Another very important thing to think about is how you talk when you're in Persona. So this can be really tricky and it, it can have a lot to do with how much people really get into their persona where you live in particular. Uh, in Trimeris, we get into clothes and we use our names, but we really don't do a lot of other roleplay type stuff, except we all, you know, as courtesans, we all flirt with each other just relentlessly and that's, we're safe to do that. Um, so that that's a bit of a difference, but actually all the times we've been out of persona, we've been about the same. I think that's just because we know we can trust each other. A good way to sort of mark out when you're in character is to stop using your modern slang. And that's something I try to do even though I'm not really in persona um, at most events locally. Um, I think that that can be a big marker. Um, another really subtle, basic thing you can do is, and this is a shout out to Madame DuPont once more because she's fantastic and a fantastic, uh, a fantastic example of how to be in persona and also be really welcoming and accessible. So not shutting people down or shutting people out by being in persona, welcoming them in with some more information about what you're what you're interested in. And that is to learn a few key phrases um, from whatever language your persona would have spoken. Um, I'm also working on that. I'm learning some Latin. I'm also uh, like every week in the medieval for reenactor, or Latin for medieval reenactors chat, getting advice on how to say different things, um, whether classical or medieval. Latin. Um, so that's how I'm kind of trying to add that to my, my persona. Uh, of course, first I went with Welsh because my first persona was Welsh. Uh, but you know what? No one's going to know. If I walk up and say a Welsh phrase to them, that means good morning. No one's going to know what it means, even if I, you know, act out. They're just like, what? So I, I you know, I went with Latin. Um, a Welsh person would have to speak Latin to anyone outside of Wales anyway. So it kind of is more accurate than insisting on Welsh. Um, and that's a thing that we really are not used to, but the norm uh, throughout most of historical time period before 1600 for most people was to translate their uh, 
their names even into the other culture's language or linguistic conventions whenever they arrived um, and, and would use uh, local titles. So wherever they were at, those are the titles and the version of their name that they would use. And it's pretty normal. And, and it's actually really normal um, among multilinguistic people nowadays. Like English speakers in America in particular don't really encounter this so much because we can go our entire lives and never actually have to speak another language. Uh, but people who have to learn English as a second language will almost always have an English version of their name and whatever their native language version of their name is. Um, and that's just something that they're used to that we don't even access. But um, almost all of our personas would have been multilingual historically. So it's pretty unlikely that they wouldn't have encountered this. And I think um, to assume that the populations across the world who have these sorts of ways of dealing with that nowadays didn't handle it the same way humans have always handled it is a little absurd to me. Uh, so I just, I kind of take a nod from, from that. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, side note, but so I, you know, I'm learning some Latin phrases so I can throw those in. And those are a really good way of, of setting that persona tone in a really low key way that doesn't actually demand that people start talking about, you know, having issues with their cantrums and things like that. Another thing you can do to place your modern slang, or, uh, so you have your, your, languages that you're looking up, you're learning the adding to your persona. Another thing you can do is do like a literal translation of what they would say, including tenses and things like that. So um, it it's um, technically more accurate according to like the most literal translation of Latin for me to say gratitude instead of um, I'm thankful or um, I'm grateful. Um, it's a tense thing. And so that can be a way of adding a little bit of color to your persona as well, or just your speech patterns, really making them foreign. And I actually kind of prefer that to speaking a bunch of foreign languages in mixed in with your speech. Like I, I will absolutely do the salute, salute delicii, which is hello lovelies in a very overly familiar tone. Um, I have a few other sort of little things that I say to people in Latin, but I, um, I keep it simple and I try to do more of the literal translation in English sort of thing. And I love doing that for slang um, because then you can call people things like throat fucker and stuff. Um, and you can get into some really fun invective language. I mean, if you're doing little translations of Latin. Um, also, if you're going for vulgarities, especially with Latin, some of our modern vulgar words trace back to Latin. So, um, no reason not to use those. I'm getting very Latin specific, but you know, in Russian, for example, their swears are really mild compared to ours, but I think it would really communicate a lot about how your persona felt about things if you are calling someone a dog and acting like you're calling them a motherfucking, like, a motherfucking dog fucker. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, that shows a lot about how your persona thinks about things, and I think that can be a nice touch. Um, also, a bunch of foreign language, honestly, is a bunch of jargon. And that, to me, can easily cross over into the shutting people down rather than 
opening up to people. Um, but I do think things like the literal translation of a common phrase or idiom from the language and time period that you're trying to portray, um, I do like that as a way to replace all of your modern slang and modern turns of phrase. Another thing to do is just to substitute a very formal kind of English there. Um, and a lot of people do that as well. Obviously, whichever one feels right to you. I think if you're trying to portray a distinctly non-European persona, though, it's really going to do you well to do dig in on that language research um, and see about what kinds of interesting, you know, different translations people have out there. Another thing you can do if you want to be more sensual without being directly sexual is to add descriptive words to your vocabulary that are normally used for things like food or luxurious clothing or um, sense words about smells and tastes and touches. Um, think about the difference between saying, this is nice and oh, this is delicious if you're talking about address. So your word choice can do a lot. Sensual words communicate a definite vibe um, and don't have to be explicitly sexual but can still definitely bring you into a very flirtatious sort of tone. All right, so no matter what the situation at hand, conversation is always going to be your best tool um, and your your most important weapon in your arsenal. Conversation is how we build rapport with people, which is really important. You do that by, you know, referencing anything you might know about them, listening, asking them questions about themselves, using their name when you in, are introduced to them, when you say goodbye. Um, Things like that, basic conversational skills um, that you can you can find from mundane resources on on conversational skills and how to how to be warm, how to meet people, how to talk to people, things like that. So you could also use it to redirect if you want to redirect. Um, if if someone's talking about something and it's really not interesting to you, you know, give them a polite chance to finish. Be you know, be gracious, and then you can say, "Oh, that's very interesting," uh, and then you can change the topic. But you can also escalate, escalate or de-escalate with people as appropriate. If someone is trying to say something completely unacceptable, as if it's a completely normal thing to say, that's a good time to escalate and make them feel uncomfortable. Um, casual jokes about racism and things like that are the way that people normalize things like racism. So, you know, that's a good time to escalate and, and make take a stand and say, you know, that's not acceptable behavior. De-escalization, de-escalating, oh, words. De-escalating is something you're probably going to do a lot more often, and that's when people are um, angry, upset, um, emotional, and you talk to them um, you have a calm tone of voice. Uh, you don't encroach on their personal space, but you use calming words. You ask them questions to understand what's going on with them, and then you help them sort of make a, a, a solution to the problem, have a little plan that they can carry out so they can feel more comfortable and in control. That's de-escalating. Uh, and that's something you're probably going to have to use more often when you're hosting parties, salons, all kinds of things like that. Um, so it's a useful tool. Um, and a subtool of conversation. 
you can use a conversation you can use conversation when you're escorting someone who maybe is is uh, worried about going out on their own or has asked you to introduce them to people and help them get to know people better within VSC or within a local group or even at a particular event um, you can use conversation to help them feel engaged but then also to gauge if you're being overbearing things like that um, and also you know you can invite them to participate in activities um, and maybe uh, help them understand what's going to be happening before you do so. So conversation is a really useful tool in lots of different situations. And of course, conversation is the tool you need to get you out of tricky situations when they arise. And sadly, they will arise because life is what it is. Um, and but if you embrace the fact that some little hiccups are going to occur, you can be prepared for them. And instead of having your entire experience derailed by it, it can be an obstacle that you overcome. And then you just keep right on going and have a blast. Um, and that's a way to not let those little hiccups ruin your life. So what do you do when someone does say something inappropriate? I like to think of it as a three-step warning process, and it is absolutely informed by the three-step warning process that I learned when I was working actively as a phone sex worker. Uh, and we had this process to address when people would actually want to talk to us about things that were illegal. Um, so perhaps um, fantasizing about me being underage or, um, other things like of that nature, that was the main one that would come up. Uh, so we had a, a three-step warning process, and it, it works very well for any sort of role-playing situation. Uh, the first one is to take a moment, take a breath, calmly and in character respond telling them that what they've done is inappropriate and they should stop because you will not accept that sort of behavior. Now, I would be firm, you can be firmly in character, but I, you know, I, I at that point would stay in character. If they do it again, then I would drop character, look at them, and I would probably to, to reinforce the complete um, break, would use some sort of modern slang in this case to really draw their attention, like, bro, I told you to stop touching me without my permission. Um, but I would still say calm and firm. Um, then with a third offense or when I felt uncomfortable in the situation, because you don't have to give someone three tries. If their first issue makes you feel unsafe, you should go. You're always within your right to leave. We have the freedom to associate, which means we have the freedom not to associate. It's your right it's from the Constitution. So uh, at the third warning, I would say your behavior is inappropriate. Here's why. And then and because of that, I'm leaving. Um, and I would leave. You have to, if you say you're going to leave, you have to leave. Um, if you leave and they then come to you later to talk about things, uh, that's a different thing. That's fine. But if you say you're going to leave, you have to leave. And if you leave and they follow you, that's called stalking. Uh, so don't, don't be done with that. Don't feel bad 
for asserting yourself. Predatory people are actually going to use your inclination to not want to hurt their feelings against you to manipulate you. And you need to be firm when you're asserting your boundaries. Assert your boundaries. You have every right to, and you have every right to stand up for them, um, and you have every right to leave a situation where people aren't respecting whatever boundaries that you have. And whatever boundaries you have that make you feel safe are reasonable. Another, uh, there are a lot of actual manipulation techniques that predatory people or even just people who have learned that these manipulative, manipulative techniques will get them what they want, um, which is, you know, like the gateway drug to becoming a predatory person. Uh, they, they use these tactics because they've gotten the things that they need, even if that's just, you know, attention and um, comfort. Uh, but sometimes it gets them much, much more than that. So um, one thing is that people will push your boundaries little by little. Uh, and this is never acceptable. Um, and, and if you call someone on it and they deny it, that is even worse because then they're gaslighting you about the fact that they're pushing your boundaries. And the, the way this happens for me, and I know that this is beyond normal patron interactions, but is kissing. When people kiss you in what is supposed to be a platonic kissing situation, and it is not a platonic kiss, and you are not consenting to a platonic kiss, um, that's a really big deal. And it's a really big violation of consent that I think a lot of people would be inclined to sort of wave away. But if someone is like that with just a kiss, imagine if you would give them the opportunity to be like that with anything more. Uh, it's just, that doesn't sound like a good scenario. And if the person's first reaction is to deny that they've violated your consent, that's, that's not a good person to give more consent to. Just a thing to think about. Um, so if you have a boundary, you have a need, stay firm. You have every right for that. Don't, don't, don't let people push. A particularly insidious form of manipulation we talk about here in our salons quite a bit is love bombing. Um, love bombing, I just, I really think it's possibly one of the worst things that you could do to a person, to another human being, is to sort of forcibly rewrite their code for receiving affection so that they are that uh, they they think that this effusive display of affection is is genuine and not just an act um and then sort of makes them believe that other more genuine displays of affection are insufficient and inadequate to be demonstrative of real love and and people who have been the victim of love bombing can can literally have their their ideas of how love works and how relationships work poisoned for the rest of their lives. So it's, it's, to me, it's one of the more awful forms of, um, grooming, manipulation, emotional abuse that is out there. But so what it is, is when someone just has everything good to say about you, nothing bad, they think you're perfect. Um, it, it relates really similarly to um, something called splitting, where people see only good in you until they see only bad in you. And that's when things can become very dangerous. Um, recently experienced a situation like that myself. And Thank goodness for all my years listening to crime podcasts and my fantastic new partner who was there to support me in my fantastic nesting partner who was there to support me in figuring out what was go really going on. Um, another thing that's common is negging. 
And negging is when people uh, say bad things in order to make you feel like you need to prove to them. Um, you need to prove to them how wrong they are. It's a really effective sort of form of reverse psychology. Um, it's something that's really popular in the sort of pickup artist community. Um, and you can just call people out on it. Um, if they're, if you feel like they're trying to do that to you, it, it, it kind of disarms the trap. Um, but it usually comes in the form of a lot of backhanded compliments and things like that, that are, um, really upsetting and, and not, you know, not complimentary feeling when you get them. Um, the kind that make you stop and go, wait, what? So if you think that someone might be trying to manipulate you, a really good thing to do is to stop and, and take a minute. You can delay yourself in conversation by checking your makeup or getting a drink, getting more food, but check yourself. Give yourself a little bit of time and a little bit of space um, to make sure that you're really reacting rationally to this situation and not based on some sort of um, inculcated emotional response. Uh, Another thing is, another thing to notice is that um, if someone, repeated interactions with someone are making you question all of the decisions you normally have about your life in a way that is really negative and upsetting, that's a sign that someone might be manipulating you as well. Um, if you want to test, a way to test can be to um, look at sort of what I, I call like micro interactions, set a boundary about something small, see if they violate that or, or think back, you know, do they always feel the need to push whatever you do? That means something. Those little micro interactions, um, they, they, they tell a lot of truth because people don't think a lot about lying when they're doing them. I'm putting a link to the Wikipedia article on psychological manipulation in the show notes, but you can just go ahead and look it up. Um, it actually starts out with a discussion of different um, different theories of why it is that um, manipulators engage in these tactics. Um, and that, that will really probably expose you to some ideas to some behaviors that you may notice that people have used on you in your life. Uh, and, and it's important to start learning to take a step back and giving yourself the distance and space to, to see that. And also to trust your instincts because the world has conspired to teach you not to trust your instincts. And you really, really should. You know when you're in danger. You know when you're not safe. Stop pretending that people who aren't safe are safe. Stop pretending you feel safe when you're not. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to upset every apple cart that you come in contact with, but you don't have to stay where you don't feel safe and you don't have to go where you're not going to be safe. Another thing that's really valuable to think about in advance and to practice with other members of your local courtesan group or just other friends that you have, close friends that you can trust, is saying no. And I think that's really important. Actually, I feel like I never had a really good conversation with other human beings about how to say no to things of an intimate nature or otherwise until I joined the Known World Courtesans uh, study group. And 
it's amazing to me that it took so long because I went to a women's college and I was raised in a feminist context. And, you know, it just, it's amazing to me that it had never happened, but it hadn't. Uh, so I think that, that this conversation, even if what it is, is just a seed that leads you to have your own conversations about how to say no, is something really valuable. And it's a good time. It's a good time to have a conversation about how to say no, strategize. So you can always say, oh, you know, I'm flattered, but, and change the subject, redirect. Um, you can list alternate plans, even if they're made up. Um, you can just be vague and say you have other plans. They don't, you don't need to tell them what they are. Um, you can cite a rule that, uh, you can't. It doesn't have to be completely accurate, but you know what? Here's a good a time when it's kind of nice. The known world of courtesan isn't known world of courtesans isn't a more formal guild or free confederation because if you want to, you can sort of say, "Oh, I'm sorry, known world courtesans doesn't allow that," and you don't have to be specific about why, and you don't have to be telling the truth to someone who is pushing your boundaries or being a jerk to you um, or not accepting just a no response. Um, another thing that works really well uh, is is redirecting towards something that you're okay with. So saying, you know, oh, I can't do that, but what about if we do this? Um, or you can just tell them, you know what, there's a different person you need to be talking to about this. If someone comes to me and they want their feet rubbed, I don't, I don't rub feet. Touching other people's feet weirds me out, but you know what? My fellow, uh, head bitch in charge of the courtesans in Trimeris fucking loves rubbing feet. So I'm always like, you know what? You want Fortunata. She's the one who can hook you up with what you're looking for. Um, you want to keep it short. You don't want to talk for a long time. That, that makes it a weaker rejection. The more succinct you can be and know is an explanation in and of itself. Uh, the more succinct you can be, the less room you're giving them to stand around in your life and argue with you. Um, and that can be really important with certain types of people. So say it and then move on, even if that means turning and ignoring them henceforth or, you know, turning and leaving. Okay. Tense interactions are essentially a part of life they're going to happen. They're especially going to happen in a courtesan context because we're doing things that are going to make people uncomfortable because they're going to have to confront a lot of their um, stigmas and their internalized biases just because we do what we do and we do it unapologetically. So you're going to have tense conversations, tense interactions. Um, you'll have a happier life if you embrace the fact that those things are going to happen and plan for them than if you are continually being caught off guard by the fact that these things happen. It sucks that they happen. We all wish they didn't, but they do. Um, so as we've discussed before, redirection with conversation is a really great go-to technique for everything along these lines. We don't want to ruin the party. You know, let's not bring mundane politics into this. Um, a lot of things. Let's talk about list something else, anything else instead. 
you can distract the person by talking about something else or by going back to something earlier in the conversation. Or you can suddenly get very distracted by something else you need to do. Uh, that's always your choice. Another thing you may have to deal with uh, that is something sort of courtesan specific is angry significant others. Uh, now, this could be as simple as them assuming that their partner is getting into trouble with you and coming over to angrily be mad at you or them or some combination of the two. It's important not to react like you've been caught, even though that's probably going to be your natural reaction, because that just adds to it looking suspicious. Um, when it's not, you know, you can converse and interact with anyone else that you want to. And if that's going to be upsetting to a person's partner, that's their job to believe, police that, not yours, ever. As someone who's been married, I can say 100% that there are only two people who can ruin a marriage, and they're the two people who are involved in it. Other people can distract them. Other people may give them a bit of an assist, but only the two people involved in the marriage can actually ruin it. I promise. It's, it's very universally true. Uh, sociology backs me up on this one, but that's, again, a whole other podcast. So a really good thing to do is to turn your attention to them. And even if it's a lie, say, oh, you must be X or you must be so-and-so's partner. I've heard so much about you. I've heard so many good things about you, something like that. That may disarm their anger just right away, which is pretty much the best outcome you could ask for. Um, and then you can actually engage them in conversation and sort of ignore the other person. Uh, on, honestly, it's possible that they're being a total dick, even though you don't understand how, and they maybe deserve to be in timeout for a little bit while you figure this out and get to the bottom of it. Uh, if you, if they seem to persist in being jealous, you can remove yourself from the co the conversation. You can call over people, uh, so that you're with a group of people, it's less likely to be seen as an explicitly flirtatious or sexual or pseudo-sexual behavior. But if someone is the type of person who's jealous and possessive just by nature um, for their own problems, their own issues, possibly trauma, then you really can't ultimately do anything about that. And what's best is to leave them alone um, with a warm goodbye. Um, and I would not even acknowledge what's going on. Like not even, I'll let you two talk, but you know, oh, well, I'll let you two, I'll, I'll let you two lovebirds alone. It's fine, but just leave them as a couple. Um, and, and let them figure that out if they're going to, hopefully they will. Um, but hanging a lampshade on it, uh, sort of calling attention to the fact they're having an issue, isn't going to help them address it, especially in a public situation. There are people who exist, and some of them are in the SCA, who when they realize that you are an advocate for consent culture and inclusivity, diversity, and just universal respect 
and dignity for all human beings, regardless of whether or not society has chosen to stigmatize them for who they are or what jobs they do. There are certain people who will try to provoke you so that they can make a mountain out of a molehill. Um, or create drama where there literally was none before. And there are a couple things you can do. Um, you can play dumb. You can be like, oh, I don't understand what you're saying. And just stay calm and keep playing dumb until they eventually give up. Or you can choose to make yourself uninteresting, which is my preferred uh, option. You Again, you have to stay calm. You have to, you become very, you know, yes, you may care very passionately about things, but they're like, just give them a, oh, interesting. Hmm. Well, I disagree. And, and if you're going to say anything, just say, well, I disagree. I don't even like to say, let's agree to disagree. Um, I think that's more civil and more than I want to give them energy wise. But, uh, I, I, I generally will just stop responding in any sort of communicative way. Um, and that will make them bored and will make them think that they're not going to get a rise out of you and they will leave. Uh, they, this is a weird sort of bullying tactic that people engage in, uh, a lot if you're feminine appearing. Um, and it's really just, tedious. It's really just very tedious. So I like to sort of disengage and not give them anything to work with and hope they'll leave me alone sooner rather than later. It's important to remember always, 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 you're the one in control of you and the choices you make and what you're doing. Other people are going to come at you and they're going to try to tell you that they care or that they're looking out for you or they know what's best for you, or they're going to try to uh, confuse you with all kinds of, you know, fake affection or, um, they're just going to be speaking from a place of trauma where they don't even know what the fuck they're doing, but they're hurting you just because you're a bystander and you happen to be there. Um, and those things really fuck with you, but you're ultimately in charge, which doesn't mean you have to blame yourself for when those people are horrible because that's on them that's 100% on them. But if you are stuck and you need help, reach out for someone around you. Um, it leave, you can always, always, always leave a situation and find someone and ask them for help. Um, if someone is hurting you, even if it's just emotionally, you don't have to worry about being nice to them. You need to worry about your safety. So your safety is always more important than, than feelings um, and than anything else. Um, you don't need to be, worry about being courteous when someone is hurting you. You just leave. Take care of yourself. Do what you need to do. Um, it's best to handle these things calmly, quietly, but you know what? Abusers and predators they will try to use your desire to not create a scene to protect their bad actions. Don't let them. It's not your fault. Your safety and the safety of other people around you comes first. Addressing whorephobia is one of the most important things that you're going to do as a courtesan. Um, we, we educate on consent culture that's it's sort of built in with what we do. We educate on inclusivity and diversity, um, how to be respectful and, and uh, 
non-exclusionary. Those things are all kind of baked into what we do, but addressing horophobia is something that I say is the most important thing you're going to do because we have a unique opportunity to do that in a way and in a place that these conversations are not going to be have otherwise, and it can do a lot of very real world good. So um, I think it's a really important thing that we do, and it's a really important thing to be prepared to do well. Uh, and and this a little bit more about that is. Sex workers are stigmatized for the work they do across our culture. We talk about this on on the podcast in our salons all the time. But a lot of people aren't having that conversation. A lot of people are having conversations about, you know, the rights of their mothers and their daughters and their wives and their nieces. They're not thinking about people that they cannot imagine knowing because of stigma. Because the fact is they probably do know someone who is or has engaged in sex work, but they probably don't know that about that person because that person is terrified that other people will find out because of stigma. So people aren't having a lot of serious conversations about sex workers' rights. Like it's sort of starting to happen on the fringes, but it's it's something that needs to be a more mainstream um, thing because it has to do with this a lot of intersecting sorts of of um, bias and um, discrimination. Um, sexism is a big part of it. Heteronormativity is a big part of it. Um, but also things about class, things about gender, and they all intersect in a major way um, when it comes to to sex work. And all of those things then interact with intersect with some really toxic ideas that um, our culture has about labor. And they sort of all bring out the worst in each other in the way that we acknowledge when we talk about um, intersectional feminism. Uh, so we have a unique privilege as members of the known world courtesans. Um, we're not sex workers. We're not violating any laws. Now, what you do when you're not representing the known world courtesans on your own time, that's completely up to you. And we would be the last people to judge you for what kind of job you have. But if you are like many of the known world courtesans who is not currently a sex worker or engaged in illegal sex work, or possibly has never been, you have a unique opportunity to talk about these things without fear, to go into privileged places and access privileged people and put these ideas in their mind um, and, and back them up with rational, good arguments and to just not even let it cross your mind that you could be wrong about this because you're fucking not. You're fucking not. Sex work is work. It's like any other work. We should improve the dignity of all work, sex work being a type of that work. Uh, if people have issues with how undignified of a job it is, they need to address the, the dignity we afford all laborers. And if people had to have issue with the sex parts of it, well, then they have issue with sex. And that's a different thing entirely. So um, here are some basic things that a lot of people hear or a lot of people say when they hear about this and that you're going to have to deal with that are basically some kind of horophobic. Um, and I'll try to break it down um, when I can and explain what's going on and and, and how you can sort of deal with it because they certainly won't without your help. So people will accuse you of leading guys on. Um, and that is as simple as if 
they don't understand the difference between fantasy and reality. That's their problem. It's a little bit like thinking someone is actually trying to kill you because they've had a few fights with you or they've fought one too many pickups with you, where they seem a little too excited to fight pickup fights with you. It's silly. It's it's very silly. Um, people who just shout out things like, hey, baby, how much? Or uh, what can I get for a dollar? Um, you don't have to negotiate price with anyone unless you want to. You're not available for everyone. You're available for the people you want to be available for. So you can tell them to F off in, you know, whatever terms you feel like. Um, I really like uh, a particular you know, you can say something classy like a view while I leave, but uh, I really like a particular thing said in an episode of Deadwood where there is a laborer working in a very fine brothel that is being opened in town, and uh, he asks what he can get in credit uh, for the work he's done that day, and they say nothing, they'll be paying him cash because all his work will get him is a sniff on a sniff as they wave their skirts at him on his way out. Uh, and I, <laughs> I just really like that for some crazy reason. Um, and there is an idea that if someone pays you, then you have to do what they want. That That's not the case. You're always a human being and you always get to say no. Always, always, always. And a lot of people will think, oh, a sex worker is basically a sex slave. That is also not the case. Uh, you just have to remind them that that sort of attitude isn't going to get them any time with you because you clearly don't understand how it works. And usually that shuts them up. Uh, a lot of people will do a sort of like concern thing where they're worried about your reputation. They're worried about people not taking you seriously. You know, there is a Laurel in Atlantia who is elevated for historical sexual studies. Okay. Um, Mr. Magdalena Lessanguini she is taken quite seriously as illustrated by the fact that she has a laurel. Uh, so it's not a barrier. And the people who won't take you seriously are possibly not the people who are going to take you seriously anyway if you're doing anything that's not, you know, normal enough. Um, and they're maybe not people whose opinions you really care about. Um, a big and super horophobic thing that people say a lot or sometimes they don't say it, but you sort of gather the impression that this is what's going on, is the idea that courtesans didn't really have sex with their clients. They were just very fancy artisans who were very flirty or something like that. That is absolutely a whorephobic thing because what it's trying to do is not only evaluate different whores and put them in a literal hierarchy of certain whores being more certain sex workers being more valuable than other sex workers because of how they do their job and it tries to elevate them right out the top what they think is the top it's like the idea of of you know going and, and falling in love with a sex worker so you can save them from their life of sex work. Can you imagine that? If someone went and fell in love with you so they could save you from your job? What kind of shit is that? So that's a really, really horrific thing that can kind of be a sleeper issue where people, you'll be interacting with them for a while and then 
it's why you have to be really explicit and say a lot all the time about how courtesans have sex for money. Just say it. They're say sex workers. Don't always rely on courtesans as a, a nice socially acceptable way to put it. Say sex workers. Use the two interchangeably so people start to get used to the fact that courtesans are sex workers and sex workers are courtesans and they're they're the same thing. They're not a different kind of performer or artisan or something like that. They're an artisan sex worker. They're a performer sex worker. It's a really important thing. Putting those concepts together is a really important part of normalizing. And it's a really important thing that we can do without fear of legal reprisal in a way that, that people who are actively working as sex workers can't necessarily do. The last one you'll get a lot is the idea that sex work is misogynist and degrading somehow above and beyond other, other things in life. Um, I just want to tell you straight up, seeming like a woman in this culture is degrading. Um, not inherent, like it isn't. Not Being a woman in this culture, being any kind of non-binary, being anything not a man isn't inherently degrading. But being those things in this culture is degrading. The culture degrades you for being anything non-male. That's not like unique to sex work. If you, <laughs> I worked as a cocktail waitress and I got my ass slapped. Um, that wasn't sex work, but it's the most assaulted I've ever been. Uh, I worked in a call center and I was yelled at and called more degrading names than I I've ever been called in any other job I've ever had. Does that make those things inherently things that should be illegal? I mean, that would be most jobs. I think, I think the issue here is that we've made labor degrading, um, and we should support the dignity of all workers and any kind of work ever. So that, that was, that's my personal response about the idea that sex work is inherently degrading and the idea that it's inherently misogynistic. Well, that negates the idea that women or non-binary folks get sex workers and <laughs> they do. Um, the internet proves it and history, uh, his, historical records prove it. And that's a big part of why especially here in these salons, I was so keen to push the idea of male, uh, male sex workers working for non-binary people and women and also non-binary sex workers working for fellow non-binary folks, working for men and working for women. Um, because those people existed, those people exist, and their clients existed and their clients exist. And I would like for us to be a little bit more cognizant of that fact. So um, it's not inherently misogynistic. Okay, check, check, check. Okay. So is it misogynistic in the culture? Well, yeah. But is it any worse than any other job you're going to have as a non-male person in this society, in this culture? No. It seems like it is because you're constantly interacting with sexual things, but that's not because it's more misogynistic or more sexist to deal with that. You're dealing with heightened gender roles. You're dealing with heightened expectations of sexuality, but that's pretty common in just, you know, dating as someone who doesn't adhere to a lot of common gender roles or common uh, sexual expectations. Uh, let me just tell you that 
dating is super misogynistic for me in ways that um, if I was getting paid for it, I might be more willing to deal with. So I don't think it's any more inherently um, sexist or misogynist than any other kind of work that happens for people in this culture. And I think saying that really shines a light on some privilege that the person saying it has, that they think that there is work that is less degrading in a culture that degrades work. And they think that there is some types of sexual expression that are less bound by sexism than others in this culture that is permeated with sexism and misogyny. So that's a little think on that um, and and why people are coming at you with those kinds of things and how you can help get you started down the road of knowing how you're going to respond. You're going to want to dig in and do some of your own research about whorephobia, what's behind it, because you've certainly got some whorephobic ideas yourself. Every Everybody does. Um, and in even once you're working on it, you're just working on it. You're never succeeding. <laughs> I mean, that's the wrong way to look at it. You're never going to be done. You're always, it's always going to be a work in progress. But that's, I mean, to me, that's sort of the beauty is that it's something that it's like a life's work. You're always going to take it out and put in a few more brushstrokes. And it's never really going to be fully appreciated until after you're gone. But it's still going to be beautiful. Um, so, Dig in, do your own research, because that's going to help you figure out how you want to address it. Um, I like to be coy and flirty and bring people back around to point out how hypocritical and fucked up some of their ideas are, and then just kind of laugh and wander away talking about needing more enlightened company. Um, it's it's super sexist. It, it depends on a bunch of stuff, like that they, they want to flirt with me. They want to fuck me. They want the idea of getting to flirt with me and fuck me. And in my vein, to assume that maybe a little. But my point is, it, it relies on this sort of sexist trope that uh, that they're engaging in. And it sort of, I feel like it subverts it. Maybe it just plays into it. I'm not really sure. But I like to imagine I'm like, I'm like my own little version of Black Widow when I do it. And that part of the very first introduction scene with her, where she flips that chair over and kicks those guys' asses when they think that they're interrogating her. Ha ha ha. Uh, one of possibly one of my favorite scenes in a movie ever. The SEA is an environment that has a lot of alcohol. Alcohol makes things complicated fast. Um, so party safety is really, really important when you're going out courtesaning. Actually, let's be honest, party safety is important anytime you're going out, you know, to a party. So, um, my party safety rules are, firstly, I don't go alone. I always have someone that can go with me that can, um, and I don't leave them alone. And we have a plan to go there together and we have a plan to leave there together. Now that might be my partner. It might be a, a, a female friend. It might be a platonic friend, that kind of thing. But it's, it's always someone. I don't like to go alone. Um, after that, you want to have a plan to drink things you want to drink. Uh, so if you BYOB, then you don't have to worry about someone else bringing you something that's not going to be good for you. You also don't have to worry about like, you know, something not agreeing with you. You also don't have to worry about accidentally drinking too much because you can make sure to drink, to bring only enough to get yourself as drunk as you want, you want to be. And if you stick to that plan that you made beforehand, then you won't regret in the morning. Now, I have many times regretted myself in the morning, but um, only from drinking too much and uh, only because I, I I had a plan and I deviated from it. Um, 
so it's important to sort of think through what your party safety plan is going to be and um, and prepare for it. Now, you know, you may or may not want to make a choice to um, not drink or not drink as much when you're out officially courtesaning or out, you know, carousing. That's up to you. And but you should be you should be aware of that. Um, we absolutely have Tulians. Those are people that can go with you. Um, and remember, they're your employees when you're out doing this. So they are there to protect you and to um, look after you however you want them. And if they are crossing lines, you can send them how many times you want. Of course, their job is never to actually fight or physically get an altercation with someone. We have the watch, we have the constabulary, we have many people and we have the police for that sort of thing. Um, but they can notify someone, they can remove you from a situation if those are the things you want them to do. Of course, you can notify someone, you can remove yourself from a situation. And if you prefer to do it that way, or if you know you will, more power to you. Uh, so if you um, you know, if you want to abstain uh, so that you can be more clear-headed while you're out doing courtesan activities and 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 um, being your courtesan awesome self, um, that's certainly a valid choice. The SEA is a very alcohol-rich environment, especially after dark. So, um, you know, a lot of times there can be a lot of pressure to drink, but you don't have to drink to have fun. You really don't. In fact, feeling like you have to drink to have fun is a symptom of possibly a much bigger problem. So, um, you know, that's, that's a thing to maybe talk to some of your close friends and loved ones about if you think that that's where you're at. Um, so when you're out drinking, drink plenty of water, make sure you eat food. I like to think of eating beforehand as sort of like laying a good foundation for your night of drinking. And if you don't lay that good foundation, you honestly shouldn't drink a lot. You can't hold a lot of alcohol on top of a, a shaky, shitty, tiny foundation. Um, you'll want, you know, sip, don't chug. The party is going to be there. You don't have to enjoy it all at once. Um, try to keep an eye on your friends. Don't leave your drinks unattended. Um, don't accept drinks from people you don't know well. Um, I'm always a little weary of, or wary of like, uh, you know, the jungle juice or like party punch type concoctions because you never really know how alcoholic they're going to be. And it's really hard to modulate your alcohol consumption when you have no clue what's going on with those things. Um, and then you know, it's important to make sure you don't leave anybody behind and no one leaves you behind. So make sure you have a plan to get back to your tent um, and someone who can help you get there if you're a little too drunk. All right. So there it is. Cortisone 101. Uh, you're now, you know, prepared as prepared as we ever are. I know there's a lot of things you're like, wait, but that didn't answer my questions about this thing. Well, guess what? The answer is you get to make that part up for yourself. There's a lot of this that is about making it up for yourself. And that's okay. That's part of what makes it fun. And it should be fun. Now, some of the things like policing boundaries, expressing um, expressing your boundaries, saying no, that stuff might feel weird and self-conscious at first. But everything new feels weird when you're still learning it. So be patient with yourself. Give yourself time to be bad at something so you know you can be good at it later. Um, and remember, you know, we've got your back. And we may not be the known world courtesans in this case, but there are people out there who've got your back. Don't be afraid to uh, call in reinforcements or to, to go to them to help you process what you're experiencing because that's what your friends are for. 
Uh, and that's what other courtesans are for. So have fun, because remember, that's the most important part, having fun. That's that's the point. Um, and maybe we can help some people while we're having fun along the way. Thank you, lovelies, for joining us today for Horsta Culture. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed sharing our salon with you. Make sure you always have a seat in our salon. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite service and give us a five-star rating. It only takes a moment and it helps other people find us. It also helps all of these different services show our podcast to other people. So please give us a hand. It only takes a second. We would be ever so grateful. Call us with society gossip or questions for your favorite courtesans anytime at 440 4 whores. We have some upcoming episodes on um, ethical non-monogamy, polyamory, um, and historical context for those things, as well as stories of amazingly inspirational women before 1600 CE. So if you have anything you'd like to ask about those topics or anything you'd like to contribute on those topics, 444 whores, we'll be waiting to hear from you. Look for our website at knownworldcourtesans.com. Org. That's K-N-O-W-N-E-W-O-R-L-D-C-O-U-R-T-E-S-A-N-S dot O-R-G. Known with an E as in ye oldie English. You can follow the Known World Courtesans on Twitter at SCA Courtesans. We are on Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest, and Facebook at as Known World Courtesans. That's with an E. Join us in our Facebook group where we plan every podcast. We absolutely love to chat. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us at facebook.com slash group slash W2C podcast. Facebook won't let us use the word whore in the URL. So we're W, the number two, C podcast. We have a Twitter just for the podcast now. And you can find us at horse to culture. And our Facebook page, if you just like podcast updates, is facebook.com slash W2C podcast. You can also support us by becoming our patron on Patreon. Starting at just $1 a month, you can get rewards like voting on future salon themes, early access to episodes, videos of known world courtesan members in our historical clothing, and at the tippy top levels, you can have an entire episode dedicated to you. Looking at you, we're working on it. Every one of our salons is a labor of love, but with your help, we can get better recording equipment and basic recording equipment to more of our members so we can bring you more voices and more stories. Please help support marginalized voices in podcasting today. Become a patron at www.patreon.com slash horse to culture. To support modern sex workers worldwide, please visit the Red Umbrella Fund at redumbrellafund.org. <laughs>